This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Welcome to episode 123 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's start into the Bundesliga campaign with a 1-0 win against Bayer Leverkusen and a 3-1 win away to SC Freiburg. Cristiano Ronaldo begging to be a Dortmund player and we will look ahead to Saturday's match against promoted side Werder Bremen. For all that and more joins me Lars Pollmann. Hello Lars, how are you doing? Hello Stefan, I'm sorry in advance if uh, Jackhammer noises uh, pollute my recording because one of the neighbors uh, had the brilliant idea to start working in his yard at like 5.30 in the afternoon, which is very un-German. Yeah, uh, I don't understand what's going on there, but uh, my mother-in-law is having a phone call right now right on top of me. And uh, as you know, American homes are insulated with cardboard. So if you hear any of that, uh, I apologize. <laughs> I'm sure it's a very... To your mother-in-law. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's very riveting conversation, I'm sure. But uh, before we start, we have a sponsor for this episode. And this episode is sponsored by your mother-in-law. It's sponsored by Slack. Wir sind komplett schuldenfrei. Wir zahlen keinen einzigen Euro an Zinsen. And this episode is sponsored by at Stormwarnings underscore on Twitter. And they have sent along this message. Quote, I'd like to dedicate a show to lifelong Borussia Dortmund superfan Alex Pop and the German women's national team who played an incredible Euro tournament and were unlucky to lose to England in the final. They played with an aggression, passion and scoring precision that I hope only BVB can emulate this year. And best of luck also to BVB Frauen. May they keep up the promotions so someday Poppy will join them. Lars, I don't know about you, but I think Alex Pop actually once declared sort of that she will probably before she retire uh, play for BVB Frauen. I don't know if that's uh, still actual, but uh, I think she was on the Borussia Dortmund uh, official podcast at some point and uh, said that. I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, hopes are certainly there. I'm pretty sure to have heard something of that ilk, but uh, I mean, given where Dortmund's women's teams are in the league uh, pyramid, it's going to take a while before uh, they are relevant enough even for a lifelong Dortmund fan to consider uh, finishing out her career. But uh, certainly something to keep in mind, as uh, our sponsor said, the promotions keep coming, hopefully. Yeah, and uh, with that, I think we can move on to uh, what happened. Obviously, we didn't have a podcast last week. Uh, that is mostly my fault because, A, uh, my wife and I went on vacation, but also I had a couple of appointments that... Uh, I didn't know <laughs> how long they would take and hence I couldn't really schedule anything. So apologies, uh, especially since Dortmund had a really nice opening to the season. The 1-0 win against Bayer Leverkusen, of course, is uh, always nice considering that they are a direct opponent for the Champions League spots and uh, so on and so forth. Lars, um, now if we look at the start of the season of Bayer Leverkusen, um, the first thing that I have, however, is Schadenfreude because they are now out of the cup 
they have lost to Dortmund and then they turn around and even though they, I think, created 8 million chances, also lost to Augsburg. So if you compare that with how Dortmund started into the season, I think Dortmund fans can feel pretty good about this sort of start, right? Yeah, and I feel uh, like I can remember us talking about Leverkusen in the preview episode and my changing the entire perception of Leverkusen on the 90 minutes in the cup. Uh, and I feel extremely validated at this point of the season. Obviously, I'm kind of assuming Leverkusen won't be relegated at the end of the campaign. Uh, <laughs> fingers crossed for them, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of a, an annual tradition at this point that people start talking about Leverkusen, you know, in June, July. Hey, they haven't lost anyone, signed a couple of good players. Or I think in this this season, they only signed Kloschek. But they kept uh, Diaby, they kept uh, Wirtz around, even though he's still injured. But people always talk about Leverkusen, you know, making this big step from a good, fun-to-watch side into a team that will challenge for silverware. And inevitably, uh, it doesn't really happen. So out of the cup, which is still the easiest way to win a trophy for uh, a club of Leverkusen's size, obviously, uh, six points behind Dortmund and Bayern. Only uh, two points behind Leipzig, if memory serves. So it's not all lost after two match days. But certainly, if if one were to choose between Dortmund's and Leverkusen's starts, I think it's a fairly easy choice. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So um, obviously, uh, we will not discuss the Leverkusen game at length. Um, I was uh, invited to the BVB pod uh, last week. So uh, if you want to hear more analysis on that you can just check out uh, their show uh, it was uh, fun to talk with Jake and Carver but for now let's focus on the game against Freiburg which of course were very uh, <laughs> exciting 90 minutes in, in many respects uh, but of course uh, Dortmund was for many stretches of the game not the better team However, I also would not uh, say that Dortmund were as bad as some people made them out to be um, last I'll just give you the stage if you want to just give me your takeaways and, and we'll start our discussion from there. Yeah, I think I will agree that they weren't as bad, certainly in the first half, as people made them out to be. Um, I think perceptions or expectations rather are sometimes get out of whack, especially with a few international supporters perhaps who don't really follow the Bundesliga in its entirety because if they did and... Uh, I suppose we are also kind of at fault for not having a preview episode. Uh, they would know that uh, away to Freiburg is definitely among the five, six really difficult fixtures of the season uh, at this point. I mean, the development of Freiburg as a club and especially as a, a team under Christian Streich in the last few years uh, has been nothing short of, uh, I guess, miraculous. I mean, um, we are talking about a side that uh, just three or four years ago would have been uh, named among the teams most likely to be relegated uh, regardless of personnel, regardless of transfers, just because of, you know, the, the size of the club and lack of uh, financial firepower, if you will. And I mean, we are now talking about a team that's playing in the Europa League that was very, very close to pipping, uh, pipping Leipzig to a uh, Champions League spot at the la uh, end of last season. Uh, who are very close to beating Leipzig in the cup final, um, albeit uh, with a numerical advantage for large portions of that game. Um, yeah, I mean, 
Freiburg away from home. It's a very difficult difficult fixture these days. It's a team that is very in tune with each other. Uh, automatisms, uh, Stefan, yes. quite well developed in that team, despite a couple of important uh, departures, obviously with Schotterbeck and, and uh, signings with Matthias Ginter and Michael Gregoritsch. So uh, straight away from from uh, my perspective, I would have taken a point at Freiburg and been happy with it from a Dortmund uh, perspective. So um, I suppose the point would have been uh, fairer in, in some regards, but obviously sport is never really about fairness, um, given, you know, the development of the game itself. But I definitely think that Dortmund deserved to take away something from that game. And uh, I suppose the the big talking point or the, the most obvious talking point is the hilarious blunder by Mark Flecken, which incredibly uh, isn't the worst thing he's ever done in a goal in, in <laughs> Germany. I mean, he once conceded a goal for uh, Duisburg, I think against Ingolstadt in the third division in like 2018 or so, um, when his side had scored, uh, but the goal was disallowed. The only problem was he didn't realize that it was disallowed. So he was taking a drink from his bottle while uh, Ingolstadt scored in his empty net. So that was even more hilarious than what he did against Jamie Bynum Gittens, but uh, still uh, a, a moment reminiscent of uh, one Tomislav Pipitzla, for example. Yeah, I don't know if it was as bad as Pipitzla because they actually showed at halftime uh, on ESPN Plus uh, like a highlight reel of uh, the Bundesliga's biggest blunders of Frank Mills, you know, big miss and such. We're in there, and of course, uh, that people are safe or non safe. And uh, I would say that's even much worse than what Flecken did. But um, yeah, I, I did make the point on Twitter that um, it, it once again underscores how difficult it is for goalkeepers that uh, adjust to become keepers at top clubs that, uh, you know, for many minutes of the game, for many periods, that they have nothing to do. And then all of a sudden, they have to be ready for a shot which almost came out of nothing and I feel like for Flecken this was almost the case because in the second half Dortmund didn't really produce much until Jamie Bynogittens just uh, had a shot, uh, just a crack at him and uh, yeah, he obviously was not focused enough for it and uh, thus he did look very silly and very comical and I think the momentum of the game certainly did uh, change uh, even more so in Dortmund's favor but I also will say that um, I thought that Dortmund were already very much dominant side around the 60-minute mark because um, as, the, as the game progressed in my book, Freiburg were more and more happy to just punt the ball away. I think in the 70th minute or so, there was a very good example for that where uh, I think Lienhardt just gained possession where Dortmund were pushing forward and uh, then he just punted it to Kobel. And Freiburg looked very happy uh, to just sit back and, and hope that they can defend and hold Dortmund off for the rest of the game. And I think Freiburg also looked relatively tired, if I'm honest. So, um, yeah, in the second half, I think Dortmund really uh, took a hold of the game. And of course, we can talk about in Tessic's really good adjustments and substitutions because... Um, I thought it was really good that he uh, straight away at the second half brought on Marius Wolf because uh, Thomas Meunier was really struggling um, together with uh, Hazard on the on the right side because, uh, you know, talk about automatism. I think Grifo and Günther 
Freiburg's left side has maybe vibes of uh, Kuba and Piszczek uh, in, in the sense that they just know each, each other so well and uh, Meunier was just not up for it. And so I thought it was uh, really good um, that Terzic didn't wait for, say, Meunier to rectify himself or so, but said, okay, this guy's on a booking and if he's, you know, again too late a step here or there, then he, he might be off. And uh, yeah, I also liked that, uh, of course, you know, we can talk about this being the start of the B BJG era or whatnot. But I, I really did like that Terzic uh, didn't wait for too long and brought him on around the 64th minute mark. And I uh, also thought that bringing on Julian Brandt for Dahoud, who was struggling in that game uh, at, at times, especially in the second half, because I, I thought he was just, you know, trying to force too much too quickly. Um, bringing on Brandt uh, in that central midfield, I also really liked. And uh, of course, Mokoko uh, yeah, was uh, a very much needed uh, addition to the team as well. So, um, you know, in that regard, I, I think the adjustments that Tessic has made, I've already talked on the other podcast about the adjustments he did against Leverkusen, where he uh, set up a back five toward the end with Emre Can and whatnot, um, where they really managed to keep the ball away from Leverkusen were on point and this time again I think Dortmund reacted well and what obviously every B4B fan likes is that uh, they, they kept the uh, pedal to the metal and, and really pushed for the winner after they had the equalizer. And uh, yeah, Lars, what, what do you make of this uh, Jamie Bynogitten's performance? Uh, obviously quite positive. Um, I think... He definitely adds an element, and I think that's also what Sebastian Kiel said after uh, they announced his uh, contract extension. Uh, Bino Gittens adds an element that few, if any, other of their players in the attacking ranks have, and that is just his ability to run at people, to uh, dribble, I suppose. Uh, he's the closest thing they have to Sancho, even though I think the... Uh, comparisons are kind of lazy in some ways uh, because obviously they I think they are both born in London uh, with you know Caribbean heritage uh, moving to Man City at an early age and then moving to Germany to make the first few steps in, in pro football if, as it were so obviously there are some similarities but also I think there are some uh, differences in their playing styles but regardless he's certainly still uh, the the closest thing they have to the the kind of guy who just wins ones on uh, one on ones consistently, um, which is obviously a very valuable skill uh, in in football still. And yeah, um, I think they needed someone with that kind of attitude. Um, I mean, the the goal obviously was incredibly lucky, but still, who knows if um, Azar bit void of confidence at this point uh, because he's clearly not you know close to the starting 11 without injuries um, if, if who knows if Hazard takes that shot whereas uh, Bino Gittens doesn't care if uh, you know he, he skies an, an attempt from from 35 meters or however long it was uh, because he's he uh, was an eight or is an 18 year old kid who uh, in his fifth game just uh, let's fly and I think that kind of attitude certainly helped them I think it's also the the attitude that uh, Mukoko showed off the bench which I think uh, helped him not having to start another game uh, with Modest um, moving to the starting lineup immediately so yeah um, 
positive subs uh, from from Terzic, positive attitudes from the players. But I think we kind of need to be wary not to give Terzic too much credit for uh, impacting the game. Because as you said, I think there was certainly an element of Freiburg's uh, just you know, uh, running themselves uh, tired in the first 60, 70 minutes and they definitely looked a bit dead on their legs in the second half or towards the end of the second half. And I think uh, certainly I felt kind of when when Fleck made that mistake, I was kind of convinced that Dortmund would win the game. And uh, obviously that's how it turned out to be, uh, thanks to one very lucky goal, but two nicely worked goals. So that's that's also something. Yeah, so I think the, especially the, the the winning goal, if you will, uh, that one that Mukoku scored was uh, just perfectly worked. I mean, the first of all, we have to observe that Dortmund uh, did create a five on five basically with their attackers up front, which really shows how ma how many numbers they pushed forward, which I think is very positive at at that moment of the game. And of course, uh, you know, with all the runs, uh, you know, for example, Marco Reus had uh, open up space for uh, Jamie Bynogittens there. And, uh, you know, obviously the way Bynogittens then just dribbles past defenders and the little layoff to, to Brandt is uh, obviously, it's, it's superb. You know, I, I love watching that goal again and again. And the redirect of Brandt was also not that easy to do, you know, have the presence of mind and whatnot. And of course, uh, Mokoko, you know, that finish was uh, obviously emphatic and threw Flecken's legs. But more importantly, you could just see how much uh, it meant to Mokoko to finally score an important goal like this. And uh, because his last season most certainly wasn't easy. And uh, yeah, it was it was it was good to see, you know, all the emotions break free, if you will. And uh, obviously that Mario's fourth goal in the end. Uh, just had to stand because it was Mario's wife and he is uh, the absolute king, <laughs> as he uh, uh, likes to, uh, uh, you know, like tweets on the internet where he's called the Uber King, <laughs> which I find very funny. But um, yeah, no, obviously, uh, on a more serious note, uh, I think, was it Jochen Dres who, who said uh, to Keke or, or just uh, published a statement that... Uh, VAR should have called it offside, obviously, because Mokoko did uh, interfere with Flecken to some extent. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a discussion for another podcast because I do not right now want to discuss about <laughs> anything about VAR. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, it's it's good to see uh, Mario's Wolf play like this and uh, we can talk about uh, him possibly starting uh, maybe against Bremen in a little bit. But in the meantime, of course, there are uh, other key points that we need to talk about and of course uh, it was also the debut of Anthony Modest. Lars, what do you make of his first uh, start for the Black and Yellows? Mm. Kind of what we can expect from him going forward I think. He's not going to be super involved in build-up play but clearly they aren't looking for that because uh, if they were they wouldn't have signed someone who's very much living in and around the box, uh, you know, both as a finisher and someone who, uh, despite his age, I suppose, um, likes to run at uh, build-up players. Um, I think he had that one nice interplay with Royce where he fired a shot uh, that was a bit too central uh, towards Flecken, but still, um, given that he only had like three or four uh, training sessions with the team, that was certainly a uh, positive sign. I think 
uh, it's always hard, even if, uh, you know, strikers have a somewhat more limited tactical role in most teams these days um, to, to play immediately. I think it was almost uh, more of a sign by Terzic. Um, you know, I, I guess there's always kind of the, the question, um, did we really need another striker? Uh, couldn't we have played Mukoko? I mean, we know about their budget constraints due to uh, two and a half years of coronavirus. And they uh, scratched together a package of 10 or so million for a 34-year-old striker. So I'm I'm kind of guessing Terzic wanted to prove right away, hey, he's we're going to squeeze him for everything he's got in this one season. And also, I think, uh, given that Mukoko played a lot during preseason and also in the first uh two um, competitive matches against 1860 and Leverkusen. It was kind of sensible for him to uh, get his um, start on the bench. Uh, obviously, scoring and assisting, um, that proved quite valuable for Mukoko, who looked fresher than his opponents uh, for obvious reasons. So um, ultimately, I think we haven't, we've certainly not seen you know, the, the full potential of Anthony Modest in this team, but we've kind of seen how he's going to be implemented, which is to say not very much in terms of build-up play, link-up play. He's not, despite his size, uh, necessarily someone you want to target with 20 long balls in a game. He's going to lay off for uh, his attacking teammates, just, just not his game, really. But, um, you know, once they have a bit of training on, uh, under the belt uh, once they've um, realized, again, uh, the kind of uh, profile he brings in the box, uh, you know, finding him with more crosses, for example, I think he's going to be a, a valuable addition, as uh, you would expect, uh, given, you know, the circumstances of this transfer. I mean, first of all, there were some positives and there were some negatives. I think this is clear to see. The, the positives, obviously, um, there were a couple of good moments of hold-up play where I thought he managed to extend possession for Dortmund. On the other hand, uh, a couple of aerial duels uh, he didn't quite obviously not win. Um, uh, obviously, also a bit annoying that Dortmund didn't quite uh, find him or manage to have a better service toward him because, uh, you know... <laughs> You think of that Guerrero cutback, and I think there was a uh, was it a Marlin or a Hazard cross where he could hardly reach it to. Um, yeah, obviously you would hope that when you have a clear number nine, that the players tasked with creating chances for him actually do create a little bit more. Um, but then again, you also play against a very well organized Freiburg, and it's certainly not easy. Um, I think Tessic explained himself that uh, he wasn't entirely happy with how Modest uh, sort of pressed the opponent or just, uh, you know, the routes he ran, <laughs> if you will, in the first half. So uh, they tweaked it more to a 4-4-2 with uh, Royce playing a little bit higher to uh, alleviate that. Um, but, you know, the, the good thing overall is that Modest looked relatively fit, which uh, if, say, Dortmund had signed Cavani, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how that would have looked like. But uh, he didn't look gas after 90 minutes uh, and he's 34 years old. So that to me already is a positive. And, um, you know, overall, I also think he will just get at the end of a couple of chances where he just needs to poach the ball. And I think he will be in that area where he needs to be more often than not. 
So uh, I'm not too worried about him not scoring goals, but obviously uh, you don't know what the ceiling really is with him, how far it can develop, or if this is pretty much it, what we've seen. Um, you know, it's it's a tricky situation for everybody. I don't think Dortmund really would have uh, loved to have Modest if, uh, you know, they if the Alia situation didn't occur. So this is just how it is right now. And uh, yeah. I think Tezic and Dortmund overall have to just figure out how to deal with it and, of course, uh, hope that uh, Modest can find his scoring boots. And, uh, yeah, we'll see how much of a role he plays, whether he'll be starting every game that he can start or, or not. Uh, my guess right now is probably not, but uh, when I thought about, you know, the game against Freiburg, I also thought about uh, the set-piece strength that Freiburg have, and I think Tezic also said it himself, and the from that standpoint, it becomes clear that uh, you might want to have him on, especially for for the first 60, 70 minutes or so in order to, you know, avoid set-piece goals. And uh, I think he had a couple of really good set-piece clearances, so in that regard, it did pay off. But obviously, um, the fact that we're talking about him like 20 minutes into the show and not right at the top of it also says that uh, his impression wasn't that great and i think with that we can also just move on to another little rant that i have and that's about uh, daniel malen and uh, torgen hazard both because i thought they were not really playing well and uh, i was a little bit frustrated because um dortmund at times looked really static in possession because neither hazard nor malen really offered many runs to the builder players be it Dahoud or Bellingham I thought they could have had them out much better with either making more runs into depth or you know dropping into the half space or anything just to maybe come a little closer or just uh, you know move away from your opponent and uh, try to open some triangles or whatever but it just I don't know I I was I felt like they were both sort of in hiding and when it came to defending Hazard was uh, obviously not dealing well on the right side together with Meunier and uh, Daniel Malen also had a couple of problems with Litsudorn. So, um, yeah, considering how uh, Malen looked uh, when he started against 1860 and I think he also had an okay performance against Leverkusen, I think there was a decline that uh, was a bit disappointing because I was hoping personally uh, to see a little bit more from him than we did see against Freiburg. Granted, he... Uh, I think got Ginter booked relatively early and he also had, I don't know, was in the first two minutes or so, a relatively similar chance uh, created by Royce that uh, Modest had where he also put it straight on Flecken. But otherwise, I don't remember too many Marlin situations and um, yeah, I'm a disappointed. I don't know, how how do you see those performances in particular because I'm I was a bit miffed with it. Well, I was miffed with uh, how many people singled out Azar for his performance, um, calling for him to be hooked at halftime when uh, Malen on the other side didn't do any better. Um, considering Malen has been uh, a starter for this team uh, the entire summer, basically, and Azar uh, only played to... Um, replace Adeyemi due to injury and also considering Azar was playing on Freiburg's much better side um, I think it was not necessarily fair um, but again what's fairness in these these times um, 
you know, to single him out. But I definitely agree that both didn't really offer much um, of use. But uh, then again, um, them starting, or certainly Azar starting, meant that Bino Gittens came on for, um, you know, the 30 minutes that counted in terms of uh, obviously Dortmund needing a spark off the bench, but also uh, where freshness made the difference, perhaps. So I don't know. Um, let's say uh, Bino Gittens starts, he's 18, five. Bundesliga games or four before this um, recently picked up a knock in training so are we sure Bino Gittens can play more than 50-60 minutes in this game and then you bring on Azar from the bench who's uh, definitely lost a step or two over the last couple of years who's not necessarily uh, as positive a sub as Bino Gittens or Mukoko so I, I think it's it's always difficult to look at these things in a vacuum and say, oh, he shouldn't have started, he shouldn't sniff the starting lineup next week or whatever. I mean, uh, sometimes it makes sense to go with the quote-unquote solid option, you know, uh, perhaps low ceiling, but in theory, higher floor. Obviously, you can argue that Azar, despite being a bit more adept at defending than, you know, some other attacking players Dortmund have. Didn't have a great game in that regard, but still, I think the the uh, decision logic by Terzic still made sense, um, given Freiburg's strengths uh, on the left. Uh, not to play, you know, a, a youngster or someone with a lack of experience or, uh, you know, whatever. So, uh, in, in, in a vacuum, obviously, uh, both Azar and Mahan didn't play well, but um, ultimately uh, they were still part of a winning side and, and all things fit together somehow. Yeah, uh, you know, also on, on that note, I also thought that Drew Bellingham, for example, didn't have his very best game. Uh, he also had a couple of really loose balls where you would hope that he, he can do better, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a tricky game against Freiburg and you can't just... Uh, be perfect and considering it was match day two and the first game on the, on the road I actually expected Dortmund to be much worse so <laughs> I don't know why it's just probably a force of habit but uh, you know it was uh, it was a tricky game and um, I'm really glad they walked away with all three points because uh, the season uh, will get very tricky starting September for Dortmund and uh, you know I think by that time Dortmund would be glad uh, to have all the points that they're gaining now um, but yeah, also again, Freiburg really played well, and uh, I feel like they were very frustrated with not, uh, you know, at least scoring a point in, in this game. But um, you know, this is all it is. And of course, uh, before we uh, end this discussion, uh, another shout out to Gregor Kobel, who I thought had yet another terrific game. And if you compare it with his counterpart, uh, it's it really does tell you that Gregor Kobel for Dortmund is. A really big difference maker and I'm really glad that Dortmund have him but uh, now it's time to uh, change our pace here a little bit because uh, CBS today had uh, a report out that Cristiano Ronaldo's last chance of leaving Manchester United this summer is with Borussia Dortmund and it says here Cristiano Ronaldo's last chance of Manchester United exit is via transfer to Borussia Dortmund his agent Jorge Mendes is actively working on a move and uh, then 
A little bit further down it says that Ronaldo is open to a move to Dortmund. Not only is Champions League football off appeal, but it gives him the opportunity to challenge for the Bundesliga and in doing so <laughs> become the first player to win the domestic league title in England, Spain, Italy and Germany. <laughs> and it also says here, Dortmund are still holding internal talks as to whether to make a late proposal to Manchester United with Mendes encouraging them to, them to do so. <laughs> So, um, yeah, uh, uh, which, uh, of course, uh, did make me chuckle a bit. And I don't know uh, how serious we can take it. But, of course, Bild today also had a report and saying that it is true that agent Jorge Mendes has offered Cristiano Ronaldo to Borussia Dortmund after playing in the English, Spanish and Italian leagues. Ronaldo is said to be tempted to play in the Bundesliga, but Dortmund does not want the Portuguese at all. And I don't even know if I want to go into the further reasoning uh, that Bild are uh, writing, but uh, obviously they write that at Man United, Ronaldo is set to earn 25 million euro, uh, 29 million euros net per year and would completely break Dortmund's salary structure. And additionally, BVB do not want to put another striker in front of young star Yusuf Mokoku. The signing of Anthony Modest was already a concession to the top talents, end quote. So, Lars, <laughs> uh, I don't know about you, but I'm very uh, bemused by all this today. It's just, I don't know, it's like a delightful, entertaining afternoon for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, do you, do you think that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo to Dortmund uh, would be a good idea for anybody? No. I don't need to say anything more. It's, uh, it's not going to happen. I don't want it to happen. And, uh, honestly, given... I suppose I have to be careful uh, not to get into legal trouble with our podcast, but given certain allegations towards uh, the player in question, um, I tend to not think most things said about this are particularly funny in some ways. So uh, I have very, very little to add outside of, no, it's not going to happen. No, I don't want it to happen. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm very much with you there. Uh, you know, a part of me, if these very disgusting allegations would not be around, a part of me would say, okay, maybe pursue that avenue because what is there to lose since Dortmund uh, would probably not, you know, they would either with or without Ronaldo finish in the top four and we would all have a year of hilarity, attention and whatnot. But um, yeah, obviously <laughs> it would be more so for the memes to rather than being actually serious about it. But um, that being said, I do think that Dortmund will probably get a little bit more out of him than Manchester United, considering uh, how no they don't get anything out of anyone currently. I mean, just look at how <laughs> Jane Sancho is struggling. And uh, I'm pretty sure that Jane Sancho isn't quite washed yet, but he's also not 37 years old. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to discuss there, Lars. Uh, you said said it pretty much but you know it's I, to me it's it's funny it's entertaining that this even comes up that we have a headline that Ronaldo wants to join uh, Dortmund um, I find it very amusing but uh, in all honesty I also don't think it's going to happen and uh, with that we I guess can move on to the Werder Bremen game uh, Lars of course Werder Bremen uh, started the season with two two all draws against Stuttgart and Wolfsburg and both these games, I've seen little bits of them um, 
were actually quite entertaining. Also a team that plays on the front foot. They have scored four goals, they have conceded four goals. Uh, what's not to like? Yeah, I'm just happy to have Werder Bremen back in the Bundesliga. Um, so what are we to expect of Ole Werner's side coming to the Westfalenstadion on Saturday with the 15.30 local time kickoff? Um, well, first of all, I want to toot my own, own horn a bit. Uh, regular listeners might remember uh, that I once told uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach to sign Ole Werner as head coach when um, when Rose to Dortmund was announced. Uh, was a special episode back then. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm uh, al- al- already when he was at Holstein Kiel, which is a very small club in, in, in most senses of the German league pyramid, he almost got them promoted to the Bundesliga, which I guess wouldn't have been uh, particularly healthy for for Kiel because they would have been, uh, I guess, the the biggest underdogs. In, in recent Bundesliga memory, maybe since Darmstadt or whatever. Then again, Darmstadt wasn't relegated in the first season, so who am I to speak? Um, but yeah, uh, Bremen, as you said, uh, quite entertaining as a team. Uh, certainly great to have them back. Uh, with all due respect, certainly beats having uh, Greuther Fürth in the Bundesliga. Uh, and, and I will also say that having Schalke instead of Bielefeld is an improvement, although maybe some of our listenership will disagree with that statement on principle. Um, yeah, what can we expect? I mean, Bremen pretty much always play the same stuff under uh, Werner in terms of, you know, formation systematics. They always have three center halves, uh, two strikers. I think we can sort of uh, compare them, for example, to Stuttgart, uh, because they have somewhat similar setups, uh, tactically speaking. Um, they certainly still have uh, defensive issues. They had issues uh, throughout uh, their second Bundesliga campaign last season, which definitely wasn't a smooth ride. I mean, uh, Werner only took over when Markus Anfang had to resign because he faked his COVID um vaccination passport, I suppose. Um, and he brought them up with a almost crazy run, but still during that run, they, uh, I remember lost to Kiel, uh, of all teams, uh, towards the end of the season. I think they dropped points at home to Ingolstadt when Ingolstadt were last. So it wasn't all smooth sailing. Uh, they definitely have some defensive issues that might be systemic because obviously talent level wise, they were, just like Schalke last season, uh, a bit overqualified for the second division. Um, I think they've talked about uh, both uh, Werner and uh, striker Niklas Füllkrug about lapses of concentration uh, in terms of the entire team defending. Uh, it's not all about uh, the back line, which I think we as uh, people watching Dortmund over the years can appreciate um, that sentiment. Yeah, or Nico Schlotterbeck. He said it himself uh, after yeah. the game. If only everyone understands that we have to defend as a whole unit. And I'm like, okay, welcome to Dortmund. This is this is not going to go away. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, on the flip side, uh, as we said earlier, uh, Bremen, very entertaining on the front foot. Um, they have an incredibly interesting uh, uh, striker partnership because um, Phil Krug... I think is perennially underrated. And if he hadn't had, for example, two ACL tests, he, I, 
would very much doubt that he'd be playing for a promoted Bundesliga side now because I think he, in terms of, you know, his potential as a goal scorer and all-around striker, he was definitely good enough to play Champions League football, um, even at Dortmund. Uh, why not? Um, and obviously Marvin Duksch, former Dortmund youth striker who played a few matches under Jürgen Klopp for the Bundesliga side is his partner in crime. Um, quite similar players in some ways, but also very uh, different in, in other ways. And they uh, definitely work well together, despite uh, being strong characters also. There's a, a The Zone documentary on, on Bremen's uh, promotion season in which, uh, for example, they, they show one instance where um, Phil Krug uh, told Duksch during halftime, uh, one more peep from you and I'm going to slap you. <laughs> which, uh, I mean, obviously that stuff happens way more often than you think, but it's still funny to see that uh, because it was a club-produced documentary, if I'm not mistaken. So... Um, yeah, characters, but also very good players. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if especially Phil Krug ended up with, you know, 20 or so Bundesliga goals this season. He scored in both, uh, games against, uh, Stuttgart and what was their first matchup? Uh, Wolfsburg away. Yeah. So, uh, generally speaking, Bremen, glad to have them back. Uh, interesting team, very good coach, but still, uh, given disparity in talent levels, a game that Dortmund uh, are going to be expected to win nine times out of ten. I mean, yeah, uh, when Dortmund play Bremen at home, I would definitely expect a win because uh, even though Bremen have a lot of talent going forward, I just feel like uh, if it's if it's a sort of a, a fair matchup that you run through on, on paper that Dortmund should just simply outscore them. <laughs> I don't know by how many goals and uh, how many they concede themselves, but uh, yeah, that is it. But that being said, I think the uh, the, the striker ship duo of Fulkrug and, and Dux is actually quite dangerous for a side like Dortmund because uh, they they both actually have a nice hold-up element. And uh, I think that especially Fulkrug is also just very uh, smart in the runs he's making and uh, I can see him very much uh, get in behind Dortmund's backline and uh, maybe have a little bit of a better day than Patrick Schick had <laughs> uh, for Leverkusen so um yeah I'm I I'd be I, I'm I'm very far away from predicting a clean sheet for Dortmund so I'd be very surprised if they make that happen but obviously um as you said Bremen uh you know are a little top-heavy, if you will, because uh, Stark, Velkovic, and Friedel, the, the back three that they have usually, and maybe you want to see Weiser and, and Jung as the as the wingbacks, um, obviously not of the same quality as, uh, you know, further up, up front. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm also, I'm also excited to see uh, Leo Bittencourt back in the Westfalen because I always thought he was a very fun player and... Uh, I've always watched his career and what he's up to, and I think he has uh, turned to become a really solid Bundesliga player. Um, obviously not a superstar, but uh, I think he's found his niche, if you will, and he's doing well. Uh, Lars, <laughs> I feel like you know a little bit more about Bremen than I do. Can you tell me anything about about uh, their Danish uh, number 10 or, or central midfielder Jens Starke? Because uh, I know he has won assists, but otherwise uh, I do not know much about him. 
Um, well, first of all, I'm pretty sure his name uh, is pronounced Stay or okay. something to, to, towards that end. But I, I suppose he's going to be Jens Stagel for most German commentators. So right. that, I mean, I've never even heard his name being pronounced, so this is just how I would read it. Yeah, no, it's. I think it's stay or something towards you know. But uh, regardless, um, I've only seen uh, snippets of his game because he moved to Bremen in the summer. Um, he was the only one they paid a lot of money for the season, so I think it's something towards like four million euros, which for a promoted side in Germany, uh, we are not talking about Nottingham Forest here, um, is is quite a <laughs> bit of money. Um, um, there was a lot of talk, uh, you know, in, in Bremen-based media uh, about him not having a guaranteed starting spot towards uh, at, at the start of the season, um, given that apparently his performances in preseason games and, and the, the training sessions open to the media weren't necessarily too impressive. But I suppose when, when you can only spend so much on one player and you decide on him, you are quite convinced of his qualities and... Um, given that uh, he's probably going to be in the starting eleven, and I'm quite interested to see how he does because, uh, as I said, um, you know, four million quid for for Werder Bremen in, in Corona times is a lot of money. He's been, uh, or oh, that that's more than they had to pay, for example, for Marvin Dux, and Dux was one of the main reasons they were promoted. So, given given the circumstances, and also uh, Bremen have always always done well with Scandinavian players. Uh, obviously we think of Thomas Delaney, but they also had like Markus Rosenberg and a couple of other Swedes. So, uh, they, they usually get it right when buying from up north. Yeah. Uh, in interesting, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> interesting that they have such a, uh, Scandinavian connection. Um, speaking of that, we will, uh, obviously, well, not obviously, but we will have, uh, hopefully Nick Wildhagen on the show, uh, for the review of this game, I've invited him and uh, hopefully we can make it work. Uh, who's obviously a longtime Werder Bremen fan from Denmark. And uh, you must know him probably from uh, talking football, uh, talking football and the like. But um, yeah, last today uh, when I woke up, I saw Im immediately actually the news conference of Ilian Terzic and he declaring that uh, basically there are no injuries um, right now. Um, meaning that, uh, you know, pretty much everyone is either already back in team training or expected to be back in team training. So he said supposed and should and stuff like that. So always take it with a grain of salt. But uh, nevertheless, uh, we have Niklas Zule back in team training, uh, according to him. Uh, Adeyemi is uh, again ready to play now. Uh, Ershan has trained the whole week. And, uh, you know, there are also, I think... Reyna is fit to be in the squad. Gürpitz is back and uh, Tom Rote is also back, at least according to Tessic. So um, these are obviously all very good news for Dortmund. So um, how do you predict Dortmund's lineup to be? What changes, if any, would you make? For example, as I teased earlier, would you play Marius Wolf instead of uh, Thomas Meunier? Um given that I didn't watch the press conference because it would have put me to sleep uh, and not woke me up. Um, I only read about some stuff, so I th I think 
did he speak about Meunier this time around or was it after the game? Uh, not Meunier, uh, Wolf. Um, yeah, he did. I, th I think he said something like that Wolf typically only played in that position when it's a back five. Um, so I, I, if that's true, uh, I suppose it might be a hint that uh, Wolf isn't necessarily considered right now uh, as a, a full-on right back in the back four, which I suppose makes sense. I think Wolf is very valuable as a as an all-rounder who can do a little bit of everything, but I don't know necessarily that I, I would say that after 45 minutes, uh, he's surpassed Meunier, who's been penciled in as the starter for the entirety of the summer. Um, so that's, that's the one thing. I, honestly, I think the, the only logical thing would be to put Adeyemi back in the starting 11 if he's, uh, good to go. Um, because that's the, the team they've built basically, uh, with Modest replacing Alea. Um, and I don't see necessarily much reason to change too much. Uh, it's also a bit early for rotation. They don't have, uh, English Wochen yet. Um, they can give five players decent minutes off the bench. Uh, and in all honesty, it's not like, uh, at home to Werder Bremen, you have to build in any tactical wrinkles, uh, you know, to counteract something in particular the opponent does. So, I kind of expect uh, much of the same, basically. Uh, Adeyemi instead of Azar, if he's healthy, and, and maybe Wolf instead of Minier to reward his very strong performance, but I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case. And I certainly think, um, given the the focus they've put on injury prevention, you know, signing basically an all-new athletic staff, Shed Forsyth as the head of performance, uh, new physios and all that stuff, I think they're going to be more careful um, with rushing players back, especially if everyone's available. It's not like you have to, uh, you know, rush Adeyemi back into the starting 11 if he still has some level of discomfort, uh, because uh, we can talk as much as we want about Azar having poor 60 or so minutes in Freiburg. He's still a reasonably decent Bundesliga player that should be able to help you in some ways against Werder Bremen. So, The same goes for uh, Süle in defense, because uh, obviously Schlotterbeck, I think, uh, is beyond any reasonable doubt at this point of the season already. And I would say that Mats Hummels has been uh, playing very well for the most part. Um, you know, I, I, I guess we could have talked about the positioning uh, for the, the Freiburg goal, but we don't have to do that now. Um, yeah, we could have also talked about the three players that didn't manage to beat yeah. Matthias Ginter to the header, but, yeah. you know. Um, but overall, I think Hummels looks very healthy, very fit, very uh, committed, um, you know, to having a better season. So why would they uh, rush Niklas Zülebeck? He's going to play enough games uh, until and during the World Cup. So, uh, you know, there's there's really no reason for any of that. So, uh, as I said, don't expect too many changes. Yeah, I personally... Would also be surprised, let's say, if Zule is included in the starting uh, 11. I could see him being brought on just to get him some, you know, everything basically, be it minutes, be it, uh, you know, acc acclimatization to his teammates, etc., and also his home debut. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if the scoreline allows it or so, or just, you know, Hummels feels tired or so that after 70 minutes you bring on Zule and uh, hopefully. Nothing goes wrong from there, but uh, yeah. Also, I think obviously I have not personally 
<laughs> looked at Adeyemi's toe, but he should be good to go because he didn't have a muscular problem. I think it was just pain related. So if it's no longer painful, I think um, that he, he should definitely play. And uh, when it comes to Bino Gittens and such, I would actually not start him at all right now because I think his value coming off the bench and then running at, at tired legs is uh, very, very big. And uh, it's also basically, I mean... You said earlier we should not compare him to Jane Sancho, but uh, it's similar to how Jane Sancho started out um, as a difference maker for Dortmund, that he came off the bench and then decided games that way. So I wouldn't mind seeing that again. Also, um, bringing him on later with Mokoko, for example, I think uh, you know it just brings a whole another level of dynamic um, to Dortmund's game, which I think is very hard to adjust to uh, for other defenders. So. Um, you know, just in terms of wanting to win, this is also relatively, like you said, how I would keep the starting eleven. And I also think that uh, Daniel Malen is probably going to uh, have more space and, and more players to run at uh, against Bremen than he did against Freiburg. It's just my prediction, but I just do not foresee Bremen being as well organized and well, you know, just on point uh, as Freiburg were. So uh, in in my case... I'm predicting Dortmund to win this 3-1. to one. I don't know what your prediction is, but uh, this is sort of where I can see this go. I mean, it could, it could be a shutout or a, like a 4 nothing, 5 nothing. could also be a weird 2-all draw, but uh, right now I don't see Dortmund losing this game or drawing this game. Yeah, uh, my prediction was going to and still is going to be a 3-1 home win as well. Just because, uh, you know, talent level disparity, uh, Bremen having some issues uh, acclimatizing to the Bundesliga defensively um, and, and Dortmund at home to a promoted side on a Saturday uh, afternoon uh, local time doesn't strike me as uh, in good old yellow wallpot tradition a trap game. <laughs> well... The the thing also that makes me a bit more positive about Dortmund winning this one is that uh, I can already see the discrepancy between away games and home games. And uh, I feel like uh, with this being a home game, um, I raise the likelihood of Dortmund winning this uh, even more so. Because I also think uh, people that go to this particular game will be very loud and, and just very, um, you know, euphoric about the entire situation this is my guess but i feel like the vibes right now as they say are very positive around Dortmund and uh, hence uh, if the atmosphere is as good as it was against Leverkusen or even better um, i have a hard time seeing Dortmund not pulling this one out one way or another and uh, yeah <laughs> that that being said i also would appreciate if it weren't such a close game because we had too many close games uh, recently and uh, me no likey <laughs> um, so yeah but uh, obviously I can't demand too many things right now it's still football it's still a very close game more often than not and uh, Werder Bremen are a very capable team and uh, yeah so I don't want to just completely talk from uh, my <laughs> from from like a pedals uh, because uh, that also would be wrong in a, in a way so um, yeah anyway uh, enough waffling uh, Lars, uh, I don't know if there are any other things we need to mention or that you want to talk about, but if not, I think it's time to knock it on the head here. Agreed. 
All right, then uh, as always, everyone out there, thank you for listening. Uh, you can find Lars on Twitter at Lars Perlman. You can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can find all of us at Yellow Wallpot. And of course, as always, please subscribe to the B4B update on uh, YouTube. It's also uh, under the Yellow Wall YouTube channel. So please do that. And if you want to sponsor an episode, uh, go to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash the yellow wall for more information. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, uh, enjoy your weekend and goodbye.